Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. I can honestly say um, I'm glad to be here. Um, Last week, we were stuck on the side of the road about 15 miles outside North Platte, Nebraska with a blowout. Um, As a matter of fact, I was telling somebody, I shared a picture with a couple of the guys who who ride motorcycles here in our church. Uh, We were following a truck across I-80, and they had what looked like ratchet-strapped the handles of the motorcycle to the truck, and then they were towing it behind it, both wheels on the ground, and I was trying to catch up to see. I was like, I got to check this sucker out, because it was. It was kind of swaying back and forth and stuff like that, and uh, about that time, I'm trying to catch up with them. We start to pass the semi. I tell my wife, man, I had a I had a flat tire right here in October when I was coming back from hunting. And about two minutes later, boom! And the kids went, what was that? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so never say, I had a flat tire here right when you're coming back from things, because it's just kind of sometimes the way things work out. Anyways, we pulled over on the side of the road in this rest area. Luckily, I mean, literally, by God's grace, it was, it was right there. I mean, I, I limped it in. Uh, by the time I got to the parking spot in the rest area, we were at three uh, pounds PSI, three pounds of air in my tire, jacked it up, uh, put the spare on, drove to Kearney, Nebraska, where we waited two hours uh, to get a brand new tire because I didn't want to drive all the way in on a flat. It's the only tire shop open in all of Nebraska on a Sunday. Um, so we, we decided to just take the chance, came in, uh, but we were listening to the service uh, when the blowout happened. So I can easily say I, I will choose this any day over being on the side of the road in Nebraska fixing a flat tire. So uh, anyways, today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5. We're continuing our, our foolproof series, Wisdom in the World of Chaos. Um, and today we're going to be dealing with, and, and I'm going to kind of let your parents know if your kids are in, we're going to be dealing with kind of some, some tough topics. I think it should be something that parents are, are open and willing to talk about and things like that. But we're going to be talking about living with guardrails. If you know anything about the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is all about wisdom. And Solomon is right, writes the book of Proverbs to give his son and people wisdom um, on certain topics. The first nine chapters kind of tend to be uh, a little bit more uh, of what I will call longer sections of wisdom. And then really chapters 10 through the following kind of go into just different things. But you'll notice in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, Solomon writes about dealing with adultery or an adulterous woman. Now, for those men who are sitting here going, yeah, this must be just towards women. No, it's not at all towards women. That's just what, uh, what Solomon was dealing with. What we're really talking about is adultery in, in life, adultery in situations and things like that. And what God gives us is guardrails. If you've ever been on a, on a, on a narrow road that kind of falls off the edge, you'll know how important guardrails are, right? Like when we've driven up to Pikes Peak, as we're driving up there, there are guardrails along the side of the road at times. There are times it's not, right? There, that there's not. And, and if, you're, if you're on that side that's closest to that area, you begin to realize how far down it is and why those guardrails really are nice when they're there. I use an example when my Sarah, Sarah and I had been married a couple years. My sister and her husband lived in Grand Junction, Colorado. And outside Grand Junction is this place called Colorado National Monument. Anybody ever been there? 
Oh, good. So, I've, okay, so one. All right. Here, here's, I, I had never heard of it. I grew up in Wyoming, right? I'm like, Colorado National Monument, what's the big deal? It's like driving alongside the Grand Canyon. The only issue was my brother-in-law was driving. I'm in the backseat of his truck on the side that you're driving along, and there are no guardrails. No guardrails. Like there's points where it's like a thousand foot drop off and there's the road, maybe like a two foot shoulder, and then it's just the abyss of death, right? <laughs> and here's me, like I'm a control freak. I don't have control of the steering wheel. So every time we're coming to the curve, I'm like, oh, you know, like foot slamming the floor, trying to hit the brakes, thinking, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's freaking out. And then my sister's in the front. Oh yeah, we have people all the time who drive out here and commit suicide. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like all my mind is going is my brother-in-law is going to lose control. What if we have a flat and a blowout? We drive off the side. What if, what if a tie rod breaks? And there, I mean, like everything in my mind is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And a guardrail, while we sit there and go, oh man, a guardrail would just make me be a little more comfortable because at least there's some resistance, right? But no guardrail means no resistance means we have an accident, what's going to happen, right? And then my sister not only does this, she's like, it's not just the people who drive out here, like, oh yeah, we had a car accident, both cars hit each other and then the momentum carries them over the cliff. So you have this accident, it's no big deal, except I just fell 800 feet, right? And here, oftentimes, while we kind of put this into perspective, is the reality of what takes place in our lives when we don't put guardrails up to protect us from the temptations that surround us all the time. Some of us like to drive on roads with no guardrails, thinking that we're okay, when the reality is because you don't have guardrails, you're setting yourself up for failure. And so what I believe Solomon gets to here in Proverbs chapter 5 is this idea that we live with guardrails in our life. If you want to stand with me, we're going to only read the first uh, five or six verses here, but we're going to read the whole chapter throughout. So I'm just going to have you stand with me as we read Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to start in verses 1 through 6, and it says this, my son, pay attention. Everybody say, pay attention. Pay attention to my wisdom. This is not me telling you that. This is Solomon telling us that, right? My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. You can have a seat. And as you do, I just want to think about this. We live in a world where sexual fantasy, sexual confusion, sexual promiscuity runs rampant. Whether you turn on the TV or are using your phone, whether it's with friends or neighbors, maybe it's things that are outside, it's hard not to be tempted by what is shown. And really, I want to just clarify this, that today I believe that if this whole chapter, think about this, one whole chapter, Proverbs chapter 5, is dealing with nothing but adultery, protecting and guarding your life, living with guardrails from the adulterous circumstances and situations that surround us. And so God wants us to be foolproof in every area of our life, in every situation. That's why we call it, right? Foolproof, wisdom in a world of chaos. 
And here's what I find ironic or funny to a certain extent about what's going on in our society. If you begin to look at the science and the psychology of what happens as a result of adulterous relationships, you begin to realize that the reason God sets up standards and guardrails is to protect your heart and your mind so that you can walk in victory in what God wants you to experience in your life day in and day out. Now, for those of you maybe who have been married and divorced or whatever the circumstance or situation you're in, you can sit back and you can look and go, okay, hey, I've been through these things like this. And we all know the side effects, whether it's through family and, and different things like that, of what happens as a result of divorce. But I'm going to look at, and we're going to look at even more in depth, what God's Word says about adultery and what adultery leads to. As a matter of fact, as I began to do this, I want you to know that the culture of America, and I would even say the world in general, has become toxic toward marriage as defined by God in His Word. And when I say toxic, I mean toxic. The culture of America has become toxic towards biblical marriage. All you have to do is watch the news. All you have to do is look at what's going on. Cheating and sexual affairs have become much more common and normal to the point that, listen, some articles I even read in this support extramarital affairs as a tool to, get this, quote, strengthen your marriage. When the reality is, and here's what's funny, these articles will say that when the reality also is that science and psychological journals have said the results of adultery are catastrophic in your life. Emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And so I want you to understand this, that there are going to be things, there are things that are taught right now that are counter to what God wants to say in his word about these things. And society's gonna say, oh, no way, you don't need to do that. But the reality is, as you begin to look at truth, as we look at God's word, and even look at, again, science and psychology, you will see the effects of an adulterous marriage or an adulterous relationship will lead to destruction. It's like driving on a road with no guardrails. And so today, the reality is you need to put up the guardrails to protect it. And so one of the things we said is while knowledge is great, right, this whole idea of wisdom from Solomon, while knowledge is great, what you do with knowledge is what makes you wise. So it's important, yes, we need to know these things, but it's what you do with the knowledge that God gives you that makes you wise. See, wisdom comes as a result of my response to the belief of the truth that I see or the truth we see in Scripture. And so when I walk in the wisdom of the Lord, then I'm going to be successful. Charles Spurgeon, an old Baptist preacher about 200 years ago, said this, wisdom is the right use of the knowledge you have. Wisdom is the right use of the knowledge you have. So here's what I want you to notice as we kind of jump into this, I want you to notice, number one, Solomon's strong call here for his son to diligently walk in wisdom and be on guard against the dangers he's going to face. Listen to what he says again, once again. My son, pay attention to my wisdom and listen well to my words of insight. Solomon is trying to communicate, listen, son, there are going to be people who are going to speak to you about certain things, and you're going to have to realize that those things are going to mislead you, whether it's friends 
or coworkers or people you do things with outside that, uh, in extracurricular activities or things like that, all of those things can either speak or lead us to truth or lead us away from the truth. And I think that this general call from Solomon is applicable to every son and daughter of Jesus. But listen, there's a reason why I believe he sets this up, this warning that he gives us. And it's because we have to have guardrails on our heart. If you remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life. So my question today would, you, would be this. Are you guarding your heart by setting up guardrails to protect you from the temptations that are surrounding you? Every one of us need this in our, in our relationships. Every one of us need this in our lives that we set up boundaries or guardrails to help us. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's wisdom guides us to build a strong defense against temptations and to channel our intimacy in the appropriate direction. God's wisdom guides us to build a strong defense against temptations and to channel our intimacy in the appropriate directions. I notice I said appropriate, right? In other words, I'm not saying, hey, it's okay to go out and have a fling and strengthen your marriage. We're talking about when I live with godly wisdom, I build a strong defense, a strong defense for my marriage, a strong defense for the future marriage that I may have and things like that. But I want to look at three things today that we're going to see. Number one is this, the promise of adultery. Here's the guarantee of what's going to happen, the promise of adultery. There is a false promise that takes place with an adulterous person, whether that's an affair, in a relationship, even the simple things like, oh, I was just texting this person or individual, right? There are reasons, and, I, and I, please hear me out when I say this. I love you dearly, and I will serve you as your pastor, but ladies, I will always tell you that there is nothing under the sun that I'm going to hide from my wife. As a matter of fact, I will even tell you that I love my wife so dearly because she has come to me and she's said, and you may think this is crazy, she said, hey, listen, I don't like the way such and such is responding around you. You need to be on guard. And that's happened here in the church. That's been a few years. And of course, maybe I was clueless, but I'm like, oh, you're making a big deal. It's not that big a deal. I don't think there's anything. And then later on, I'm like, man, my wife is wise. Because there are certain circumstances and situations that I realize that, my, that God has given me a wife to let me know that, hey, you need to be on guard against circumstances, against people around you. And so it's important. Listen, there is a promise of adultery. And there's the false promise. Number one, look at verse three. It sounds and feels good at first. Listen to what he says. For the lips of an adulterous drip what? Honey. Mm. Anybody like honey? I love honey. I'll fix, I'll fix pieces of toast, pour honey all over it, cornbread, honey. Matter of fact, drown that sucker in honey. I'll just eat it like kind of squishy, right? Cornbread, squishy cornbread with honey. I love honey. But listen to what he says. The lips of an adulterous woman drip honey. And ladies, I want you to know this as well, that I think is just important. The lips of an adulterous man will drip honey. In other words, it's this idea that, oh, it's going to be sweet. 
It's going to be better. It's going to taste good. It's going to have so much flavor. There's going to be this new sugar in your life, right? This, this, this new high of what's going on when the reality is it's a false promise. As a matter of fact, what we always know is that for, for, forbidden fruit is always tempting. Adultery promises much, but delivers little. Adultery promises, in reality, building, or promises that building or something new, when in reality it's a destruction, it's tearing down. So there's this false promise of adultery. As a matter of fact, I've heard it said multiple times, but when you look at the grass, the grass that's greener on the other side, there are usually two reasons the grass is greener on the other side. Number one, it's been nurtured, cared for, taken care of, and watered. Or number two, the septic tank's leaking, and you got a bunch of crap floating around the grass. So which one are you choosing? That's usually the question, because oftentimes an adulterous situation literally comes to that. Oh, look, this person is so much better. Oh, I remember when my husband used to do things this way, but now, like this guy, he's greener, it's, it's, it's better, when the reality is he's probably just full of a bunch of stuff. See, that's the false promise of adultery. An adulterous relationship, and a, a relationship that says, I don't live within the bounds of marriage, but I'm going to seek the approval and acceptance of others from the outside. So there's the false promise, but then there's the real promise. Look at verse 4. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall and sharp as a double-edged sword. Think about that. The end of adultery is sharp bitterness. Hatred, vengeance, anger, frustration. And trust me when I say this, that bitterness, even from what I see from non-Christian psychological and scientific research as we research this out, the bitterness wrecks and wreaks havoc on your life. So the real promise is this, that adultery ends in bitterness the real promise is death followed by condemnation. Thus, the ways of adultery are, listen, always unstable, always unknowable. Adultery delivers but, what, but not what is promised. It always delivers something else. Look at verse 6. She gives no thought of the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Listen, when you enter into an adulterous relationship, you are following somebody who's leading you to destruction and that person doesn't even realize it. So it's important that we live with an understanding that the promise of adultery is a false promise. The reality is that it's going to end in bitterness and it's going to end up wrecking your life. Not just your marriage, your life in general. Number two is this. I want you to see this, that there's a price of adultery. Look at verses six and following. I'm not going to have you stand to read it, but let's read through this real quick. Starting in verse 7, now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Do you hear what he's saying? 
There is a drastic price to be paid when you commit adultery. And listen, you may sit back and you say, I've never physically done it. But listen, Jesus is very clear that if you've looked at somebody lustfully in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. You know, the crazy thing about it is like the pornography industry has, has, has just gone through the roof and it's even more accessible now as a result of phones. More accessible, easier acceptable, easier to hide. And there's a price to pay as a result of what goes on. There's a massive price. Make no mistake about it. God wants us to be wise in our lives. And when we make mistakes, listen, he's faithful to forgive us, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a cost. Please hear me out when I say this. When you partake or take part in, a, in an adulterous relationship, maybe you're addicted to pornography, maybe there are some things, there is a cost that affects everybody, not just you, but everybody else around it. Do you realize that the number one, the number one money-making scheme of the cartel, somebody tell me what you think it is. It's not drugs. Sex trafficking. Human trafficking. And if you think it doesn't happen in the United States, let me tell you something. It happens right here in Independence. When I've sat down with the Independence Police Department and we've talked about this whole idea of human trafficking and what's going on, they said, listen, we could drive up and down 40 Highway right here and we could bust every hotel at any point in time, day or night, and we can guarantee you we would break up a human trafficking ring. Watch the news sometime. Please watch the news. Because you'll hear where they've done stings and busts, where they've busted 40, 50, 60 people. And what they're doing is they're taking advantage of it. And let me, I'll just, I'm going to throw this out there, whether you like it or not. An open border is an unsafe border because all we're doing is allowing the drug cartels to bring in people who are trafficked. So let me put that in there just a little bit for you to understand that it's important that we take the proper steps to begin to protect the people that are being trafficked day in and day out. And that includes kids. And the beauty of it is, I don't know if you realize this, some of you may or may not, our Blue River Kansas City Baptist Association started a home not too long ago, about three or four years ago, maybe even probably six or seven years ago. And there's a house. Matter of fact, one of the churches that ended up closing its doors down south in the Pleasant Hill area gave their property to the association. The association has turned it into what's called Rehope Farms. And it's a literally a, a farm to get women who are trafficked out of it. The first year is all about spiritual and emotional healing. The second year is all about trying to train them to be able to live on their own, get a job. And the third year is about how to continue to live on their own, apart from the control of a pimp and everything else. So listen, there is a price to adultery. 20, listen to this, 20% of marriages and 75% of dating relationships, according to the statistics I read today, end in infidelity. 20% of marriages. You may say, well, that's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. And so here's what I want you to see in the price of adultery. Number one, it costs your wealth. It costs you money. When you do this, when you partake in an adulterous relationship of pornography and everything else, you are going to lose your money. Look at verse uh, 10. Let strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. 
When you're addicted to pornography, it starts in the simple way and it becomes something you begin to feed into and it begins to cost you money and it begins to cost all these different things. It's going to come after you in that way. You're going to lose your wealth. But I don't believe that that's the most important thing about it. There are lots of people who are dumb with their money, but that's one of the dumbest ways we can go about wasting it. So it costs us our wealth, but I want you to also see this. Look at verse 11. It costs you your physical health. Listen to what he says. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. Did you know, as I began to research this out, that adultery and the actions of infidelity to go along with the cover-up to hide, all of these things lead to physical health problems? A matter of fact... Men who cheat are more likely to have a heart attack. Infidelity leads to massive heart problems. That's one of the things that they studied over and over and over again. Why? Because of the stress and the anxiety and the worry and the cover-up and everything else that goes on. When you partake in an adulterous affair, a relationship that's outside of marriage, all you're doing is setting yourself up for physical problems. And that doesn't even go into the whole STD thing. And if I was dealing with teenagers, we might talk about that, but we're not. Physical problems arise as a result of that. But I also want you to see this. It costs you your mental health. Look at verses 12 and 13. You will say, oh, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. See, it's amazing to me still that we live in a society that wants to deny science and psychology. Matter of fact, I would even say this. It's amazing when we've allowed psychology to trump science. How you feel matters more than reality, more than truth. I can't imagine what our world's going to be like in 20 years when the long-term effects of what our society is saying is acceptable is going to lead to in the midst of what's going on. The health and mental crisis that is going on in America right now if you can only imagine what's going to happen later when we don't deal with people with truth, but we deal with people more on how you feel. We are, we are cruising or heading for a massive crash from an emotional state. And all I can say is this, that when the mental breakdown of a country goes, the physical violence always rises. Always. It's a given. I watched video after video this week, and one of the things they were talking about is like, we've got to overcome the, the, the violence issue, right? And one of the psychological doctors said, listen, everybody wants to make it a gun issue, but the reality is we've got a mental issue. No matter what you put in somebody's hands, if they have a mental problem, you're going to have problems. And it is a mental health issue when we deal with this. Listen, broken heart syndrome. You may think, oh, that's sweet. It's, it's a clinical diagnosis of what happens. Broken heart syndrome. In other words, when, when infidelity or, 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 or adultery takes place and the heart is broken, re- increases what's called stress-induced cardiomyopathy. That's what we just talked about, the heart issues. Depression, anxiety, unhealthy coping behaviors, worry, frustration, 
all rise as a result of what takes place when we partake in adultery. Women who blame, listen to this, women who blame themselves for infidelity were more likely to turn to unhealthy coping strategies like stress, anxiety, and depression, while men turn to alcohol and drug use, according to Psychology Today, April 17th, 2021. So when adultery takes place, when an affair takes place, when I operate outside the guardrails of what God set up for me to protect me, then I reap the consequences, which are what? It cost me my wealth. It's going to cost me my physical health. It's going to cost me my mental health. And then here's the last thing. It costs you your character. Let me be very clear in this. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 9 says, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel. Verse 14 says, I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. In other words, what he's saying is, everybody sees me for who I am. I have no character. And the question really be, would be at this point, do you trust somebody who doesn't or who cheats on their spouse? Like, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't trust you. I wouldn't trust you to count my money at a, at, a, at a bank. I wouldn't trust you to deal with any of those things. Why? Because it's a character issue. Anytime we take any of these things in and we don't live within the guardrails of what God sets up, all we're doing is showing that we can't be trusted. So that's the price. Now, while that might be kind of heavy, I want to go to this third thing. It's the protection of your marriage. And here's the beautiful thing about Proverbs chapter five. Like every guy I know loves to read Song of Solomon. I don't know about you, every now and then I'll jokingly text my wife a picture of one of the verses. And she just rolls her eyes and she's like, you're an idiot. (laughs) But I want you to get this, the protection of your marriage We're going to start in verse 15 and listen to what he says. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your spring overflow in the streets or your streams of water in the public squares? And then I love this statement. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Here's the one that I would probably text my wife, and she's going to be embarrassed as I'll get out. Um, A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast, and he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Listen, marriage is a constant and consistent test of character. Remaining faithful to your spouse is a constant and consistent test of character. So here's the idea. If I want to protect my marriage, then I love my spouse only. In other words, I set up guardrails in my life so that there is no temptation. So that when I am tempted, and listen, you're going to be tempted. It's just a given. We see all throughout scripture that temptation comes. But the truth is what we see in James when he says, listen, everyone's going to be tempted. But don't give in to the temptation and you won't sin. 
So in other words, there are going to be things where you're going to be tempted to watch something longer or to access, access something on your phone or to text somebody something that you think, well, my wife will never know about or to, to do whatever you want to do. And the reality is that if I set up the guardrails, then I protect myself because I'm called to love my wife and my wife only. Nobody else like that. And all throughout scripture, God sets this up so that, listen, you will be successful in marriage. Divorce rate at an all-time high. More and more people cheating on their spouses. Our kids are confused about what's going on with sexuality. Our, our, our gender issues are, are at an all-time crazy, chaotic mode. And the reality is that marriage is the constant. Loyalty to your mate is so important. Listen, so important that God chose to make it one of his 10 boundaries, the 10 commandments, for the basic behavior. That's Exodus chapter 20. But I also want you to know that it's so important that Jesus said that if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I have to have the guardrails in place. And so when I talk about this idea of loving your spouse only, then I am called to love my spouse just as I see in Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to read that just real quick. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says this, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. Husbands, your job and my job is to, to, to look after, to love, and to serve sacrificially our wives. And let me be very clear, because for some reason, for some way, shape, or form, in our mindset, there were men in the church who thought that our wives are subservient. And let me tell you, there is nowhere biblically that that's ever the case. Your wife is not your slave. Your wife is your partner. She is there to walk side by side, hand in hand, under your arm. Is she to submit to you? Yes, but I want to be very clear that submission doesn't mean service and slavery. Submission means that you've stepped up and you have led like Christ led the church, that he loved, he died on the cross and sacrificed for him, and he serves the church. That's how you love and serve your wife. Matter of fact, I love when people love to tell me, hey, Bible says, well, I submit to your husband. And I want to go, okay, well, let's, let's jump back one verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Anybody want to take a guess what it says? It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So husbands, guess what that means? You are to submit to your wife as well. Now, I believe wholeheartedly in biblical leadership and the headship of a man in a family. But if you're not going to lead, then your wife doesn't submit. If you won't lead as a strong biblical leader in your house, in your family, don't expect your wife to obey you. You lead as a husband who loves the church, who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. So marriage, listen, is constant. So that's, that's that big kicker. Listen, wives, you love your husbands. When we talk about this idea of protecting it, listen to Titus chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It's talking about older women, what they can do with the younger women. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Wives, loving your husbands 
means that you can love them and serve them just as we just talked about, out of reverence for Christ. That maybe your husband's not a believer. And maybe because he's not a believer, all you can do is to continue to live the gospel of Jesus day in and day out. To love him, to serve him, to let him know, listen, Jesus died for your sins. Whether he wants to hear it or not, you pray for your husband day in and day out, hoping that God will change his heart. So I, listen, you have to love your spouse and love your spouse only. And then the second thing, if you want to reap the rewards of a successful marriage or a a biblical marriage, I say this, that you have to love the Lord faithfully. Look at verses 21 and following. For man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. You know, the one thing I've always said to teenagers or adults or anything else like that is, you may be able to hide an affair, you may be able to cheat on your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it is, you may be able to have pornography access, and your parents don't know about it, your wife doesn't know about it, but guess who does? God does. Because everything you do, he sees. And you may say, well, that's kind of a crazy fear tactic. It's not a fear tactic. It's the truth. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He knows everything that's going to happen. He knows the decisions you're going to make. And right now, I would venture to say that there are some men today that you need to set up guardrails. You need to make a stance. You need to make a decision. You need to come clean and repent of whatever, God, whatever is going on because God is convicting you right now. Maybe you have been accessing pornography day in and day out. And you may say, well, that's no big deal, Brian. It's just pornography. Yeah, that's somebody's daughter. That may be somebody's wife, girlfriend. That's somebody's granddaughter. And the sad thing is, everybody wants to complain about the fact that all this pornography is going on. Yeah, you know why it's going on? Money. And the money leads to all kinds of problems, right? Because it's like this. They'll never know. I can watch it. I can hide it. I can see what's going on. But God knows everything about what's going on. God knows every part of it. Listen, the Lord is omniscient and sins are going to have their effect, but I want to remind you of this when we talk about these guardrails. God never tempts us, number one. Number two, every temptation that comes, God will always give us a way out. Always. Joseph is a great example. In Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 7, Joseph had a crazy life. And he had risen to power under Potiphar. Potiphar had basically made him second in charge of his household, just under Potiphar. And in verse 7, uh, at the end of verse 6, it says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. So Potiphar's wife was like, hey, look at this young, young whippersnapper. Young pool boy, right? He's coming out, cleaning out the pool with his no shirt on, whatever it is, right? She takes notice of him. And she even says to Joseph, hey, why don't you come to bed with me? Now, everybody's going to know, right? Potiphar's probably so busy, he's not going to know what his wife's doing. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the way it worked out is the king slept in his quarters, the queen slept in his quarters, and then they would come together for conjugal visits, if you want to call it that way, right? So the queen could do whatever the heck was going on. So she's like, hey, Joseph, why don't you come to bed with me? And Joseph's like, heck no. 
And make no mistake about this, I'm pretty sure Potiphar didn't marry some slouch. He's like the lead of what's going on. Potiphar had his pick of women, I'm pretty sure. And I can guarantee you, even marriage back then wasn't like marriage is now. So Potiphar probably went, man, she's the most gorgeous girl. That's the way it's going to be. So she's going to become my wife. But listen to what happens. He says he refused. He says, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. And then listen to Joseph's statement. How could I do such a wicked thing? And he doesn't say sin against Potiphar. He says, and sin against God. When you and I don't follow the God rails that God sets up for us, Yes, we are sinning against other people, but the main reason or the main person we are sinning against is God. And Joseph acknowledges it right there. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I want to give you some truth just to wrap up here today. The prevention of adultery is possible when our love is in the right place. And while I said we love our spouse only first, I want you to understand that I believe it begins with our love for God first. And I can love my spouse in a greater way when I love God first and foremost in my life. As I love God first and foremost, he's going to give me the qualities and characteristics to represent and to give to my wife, to show to my wife to offer forgiveness, to offer grace, to offer repentance, to lead and to lead well, to lead as a Christian man who's going to lead my kids, who's going to lead my wife to follow Jesus day in and day out, who's going to make church a priority, who's going to make serving God a priority, who's going to say, no matter what the cost, we will always be faithful to God. No matter what the cost, we are always going to live by the basis that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, that when I sin, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, that when I sin, I confess my sins, why? Because Jesus is faithful and just and forgive me of any and all unrighteousness. I love the Lord my God with all my heart and I love my spouse just as I should love my neighbor as myself. Listen, I believe today we're at a point in society where we have to begin to take a stand in our own homes to say as a father or as a mother that we're going to guard and protect our house against the out or the pressure of the outside world to give in to adulterous relationships and affairs and things like that. That you need to make a stand to help your kids guard and protect themselves from pornography and from what everything else is being thrown at them in school and their friends about what true sexuality is all about. When I operate within the guardrails that God sets up, I get to explore the beautiful terrain of a marriage relationship that is greater than any picture of a Grand Canyon or the Colorado Mount National Monument will ever be. That as I walk with my wife day in and day out and I serve my kids and lead my kids day in and day out, I begin to see God form and fashion my family into what he wanted it to be. To see my kids serve Jesus day in and day out, no matter the cost. To see my kids eventually raise kids of their own 
and to hopefully see my grandkids serve the Lord faithfully. That's the call. But it begins with you putting guardrails in place. It begins with you making a step to say, God, I confess for my sins and what I have led and what I have done. And God, I turn that over to you. And listen, please hear me out when I say this. The Bible is very clear that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those. But you have to make the stance. You have to make the decision to put the guardrails in place. And like I said earlier, I will always do this. I've, I've vowed to do this. I've, I've talked about this before. If you've been here in our church, you've heard this. You're probably like, good grief. Hear this plenty. My wife has the code to our TV. Anything that is a certain rating or above, I cannot watch without my wife entering that code. You want to know why? I don't have to deal with the temptation. She's going to know exactly what I watch. My wife has access to every one of my passwords. There's not an email or a text message she's not going to be able to read. None whatsoever. And guys, you have to be at that point. If you're not willing to give your wife the passwords, I'm just telling you as a pastor, I don't trust you. That's a character issue. Because you should be so vulnerable and so willing to allow your wife to see what is going on on your phone that you have nothing to hide. Let's pray. Father, we leave it up to you, knowing that you are the one who convicts, you guide, but yet at the same time, God, we know that you redeem and you restore. And so, Lord, we pray. I pray for the marriages. I pray for those who are single even today that are walking through the minefield of the dating and relationship scenarios. God, we know that you gave us guardrails to protect us, to guard our hearts. Why? Because they're the, it's the wellspring of life. And so, Lord, we know that you gave us these guardrails to protect us from the very things that society says we can do. We know that you want to guard us from depression and anxiety, from worry and frustration. We know that you want to protect us so that we can walk into a marriage relationship with our spouse, with purity on our mind, to be able to enter and say, I have, I have saved myself for you. And so, Lord, maybe today there are some who are struggling with, with adultery or pornography. God, just where you're at, turn that over to the Lord. Ask him to forgive you. Talk to somebody about it. Put up guardrails. God, we pray that the marriages, that the families, that the homes in our church would be able to just experience the life that you offer, the joy and the celebration of a marriage relationship committed one to another for the rest of their lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good.